There we go. So today we're going to be talking about discipline, self-control. Um, it's funny, I, I haven't talked about this in a webinar or even much piece, many pieces of content before. And yet it's such a vital element to everything, really. I mean, if you can't discipline yourself and maintain patterns of behavior, you really can't sustain growth. You can't make a big change unless you repeatedly do something differently. And so ultimately, this is the vehicle that gets you to where you want to go. This is the goal achievement vehicle. Um, so we're going to talk about that today. It's also something that I've only recently been able to put into some sort of systematic guidance system. I've always been a pretty disciplined person with certain elements of my life. There's been others that I've struggled with. But I've never really been able to quantify it. I've never been able to say why I was able to maintain that discipline, what I'm doing, say, differently to the areas of my life where I'm not disciplined. But uh, because this question kept coming up, I decided to try and answer that question. And for, for my own personal development, very recently I've become a lot more disciplined. So I've kind of, I don't know, I guess I've discovered the secret of what works for me in terms of uh, self-control. Like for me, managing my body, my weight, has been something that I've struggled with my whole life. And yet very recently, thanks to a um, quite scary cholesterol test, uh, I finally figured out how to control my eating so I don't binge on sugar or anything anymore. And for me, that's the final frontier. Like all my other areas of life, I can be so disciplined with, but eating was always one I struggled with. But I've finally been able to transfer that discipline from those other areas into my eating life. And now I get it. I understand what self-control really is now. Or at least I think I do. So I'm going to try and share that with you guys today. Andrew, welcome along, mate. Um, I'll be keen for you guys to share as we go in the little chat box any specific area that you feel that you're struggling with in terms of discipline, an area of life where you wish you could control your behavior better, that you seem to feel like you let yourself down or you can't maintain a consistent pattern of good behavior and you're not really sure why or you know why yet feel unable to do anything about it, like it controls you. Now, if you guys can share that, then we can use some specific examples to help you guys. Um, let's start by defining it, defining what is self-control. I've, I've, there's so many different ways to put it, but putting it in a way that will help guide you towards learning how to control yourself, defining it in a way that makes you understand what discipline is for me is it's resistance to instant gratification. Because you've got your goal, you've got what you want to do, and then you have temptations to do something else, usually something less healthy and less good for you. And so discipline is being able to continue to do the thing that's right for you despite temptation to do other things. That's all discipline really is, a resistance to temptation. Okay. Because if you can do something that's easy to do and feels good to do, it's not really discipline. You're doing it out of pleasure. Discipline only kicks in when it isn't instantly pleasurable. 
And I want to put something to you guys right now, especially anybody listening who thinks they struggle with discipline. You'll be able to identify an area of your life where you are disciplined. And for most people, this is going to work. Now, most people, even if they've got an okay job, they would rather just get all the money for free. Okay. But life doesn't work like that. They have to go into their job. So unless you're lucky to have found your calling, something that you jump out of bed to do, most likely you do a job that's less than pleasurable. And yet you're able to get your ass up every Monday morning and drag yourself in to do it. You'd rather stay home and stay in bed and maybe you had to fight some excuses while you're in bed. Uh, like I used to do with my old job, I used to have to battle every morning to whether or not to call in sick. And yet you end up going. That is discipline. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at how is it that you're able to do that in one area of life and yet struggle to transfer those skills somewhere else. Because that's all it really is. A skill set to resist instant gratification. To be able to choose the, the shitty thing that's good for you over the pleasurable thing that's bad for you. And to be able to do that over and over again with this kind of endurance. If you keep that in mind, then it will give you an idea as to demystifying what discipline really is. Discipline is the ability to resist temptation. Now, of course, discipline goes further than that. It's not just doing it once, but being able to turn it into a habit. A habit of control over yourself. A habit that is not affected by your mood or random external circumstances. Glenn, good to see you, bro. Um, Self-control is about turning a behavior that, that happens at regularity. It happens every time it's supposed to happen, and it doesn't matter how you feel at the time. It doesn't matter what's going on for you. you know, for example, I take a cold shower every morning. Some days I feel more like doing that than other days. It doesn't matter how I feel. I take it every single morning. And even if someone's rushing me in the morning, I'll still take it. That's, that's kind of the definition of a disciplined habit where the outside world or even your own inner world can't stop you from doing it. And again, it's this resistance to temptation. I'd rather not have a cold shower. Pretty much everything else is better than having a cold shower, okay, in the moment. So discipline is being able to do it, despite the fact that I'm always tempted not to. Andrew put alcohol. Alcohol is a really difficult one for a lot of people, uh, especially because you know, it's the one drug that's legal, so there's no sort of social ramifications for using it. And it's a very tempting one. It's just such a quick confidence fix. So essentially resisting alcohol is resisting the quick fix to mood and confidence. There needs to be a consistency over time, doesn't there? For it to count as self-control, you can't just do it once and then fall off the wagon. You need to be able to nail it time and time again with far more success than failure. I like to think of it as like the 80-20 principle. 80% of the time you get it right, at least, for it to count as discipline. You're more likely to than not. Self-control is about certain values. 
responsibility, you owning your decision-making, you deciding what you're going to do. It's often about courage. There's a type of courage in resisting temptation, usually because the thing you're going to is fearful and the temptation is not. You know, it's fear. It's, it's, it can be scary to face your emotions as they currently are, whereas it's not scary to have a drink, you know. It uh, can be scary to go to the gym and try to do pull-ups in front of every muscly guy who's watching you. It's really not scary to sit on the couch and watch Netflix. So quite often, it's, this, it's an act of courage to be disciplined, at least until the pattern is enabled and you no longer really have to think about it. And that's what I want to help you guys do today is figure out how do you make it a pattern that becomes autopilot. Just like your autopilot pattern that gets you into work each day or gets you to brush your teeth each day. You're no longer really scared. You're just kind of following the rules you've set for yourself, obeying your own, your own principles. It's the shift to that pattern that's the hard bit for people, isn't it? To get to the point where you automatically do it rather than not do it. And that's what we'll be talking about today. But I want you to keep that in mind. For all of you who think that discipline or self-control, whatever you want to call it, is difficult, look at that one thing in your life where you do it, like going into work, brushing your teeth, Maybe it's certain activities to take care of your kids. Or maybe it's something like exercise that you do regularly and you've been doing it for so long you don't even think about it anymore. You know. I'm not talking about things you do all the time because they're pleasurable, but look for the things you do all the time because they're good for you even though they're not immediately rewarding. Because if you can do it in one place, you can do it anywhere. You just have to figure out the formula. How is it that you're able to get your ass to work every day, even though you'd rather not? You know, how is it that you go for a run every morning, even though you'd rather sit on the couch? It's more pleasurable to sit on the couch. What is the code behind that? Hopefully today we can figure that out. So, why do we struggle to do this? Keen to hear from you guys as we go on, so chuck your thoughts into the group chat box there. What do you think makes discipline difficult? When you think about the own area, your own areas of life where you're not quite being who you want to be consistently, what gets in the way of it? What are the temptations and the barriers? You know, what, what derails you? What makes this hard? It's kind of like budgeting. One of the reasons that people struggle with discipline is they don't even really look deeply into why they aren't disciplined. And that's actually fear. One of fear's greatest weapons is confusion and distraction. Fear doesn't want you to look. It's like someone who's bad with money doesn't want to look at their budgeting. They don't want to look at how they spend. They don't want to know. Well, when you look at why is it that I always binge on this thing instead of doing what I should do? Why is it that I delay that thing yet again and procrastinate on this thing? I want you to answer that question. Why? What's the, you know, what are you being sold that you keep buying? You know, is it comfortable emotions? Is it the story about 
tiredness. What is it that your brain tells you? I can't be bothered doing it today and convinces you. Yeah. Kamal's nailed a very important one. The lack of a strong motivating principle. Which brings me to the first point. In my opinion, the number one reason that people are undisciplined is they lack a clear and compelling reason to do it. They lack a reason that's strong enough to, to be a greater argument than temptation. See, one of the, you know, for me, when I was looking into this, I thought I've got to be able to answer the question, why is it that people are able to go into work every day when most people don't like their job that much? And it's a really simple one. It's because people want money. It's really straightforward. They're scared of not having money. They're very, very scared of not having money. So they have a very strong reason why they go into work, which is, I don't want to be fucking homeless. I don't want my kids to starve. And that, that reason's more compelling than, I feel a bit tired today, or I'd rather lie in bed, or I'd rather just play on the computer all day. It's stronger than that. Now, in my personal opinion, if that's the only reason you're going into work, you need to be looking at your career, but it gives you a, it gives you a, a sense of what moves someone to do something that isn't very pleasurable to do, at least not immediately gratifying. So that's one of the first things I want to plan in your mind. When you look at what you're struggling to do, ask yourself, do I know why I'm doing it? What is my reason for doing it? You'll find, for example, if people are doing exercise, they're like, oh, because I just should be healthy. I'm like, yeah, I bet that really gets you out of bed. That's not a compelling reason. The compelling reason that finally got me to control my eating was that if I don't get my cholesterol down and keep it down, I'm going to die. I'm going to die earlier, much earlier than uh, my potential. I'm going to die in my 50s instead of my 80s. I'm going to miss out on decades if I don't get my shit together with eating. It's a very compelling reason. And with that compelling reason comes others, like I want to be an energetic father. You know, I don't want to be exhausted by my kids. I've been playing with um, some nieces and nephews lately, and oh my God, they've got so much fucking energy. If I'm going to be a great father, I need to be able to keep up with them. And I can't do that if I'm overweight and lethargic from eating too much sugar. So being a good father is a very compelling reason to eat a salad instead of a chocolate bar. You know? So take a moment, all of you, to just look at what it is you're struggling with and your reason why to do it and ask yourself, is that reason compelling? Does that reason fucking move me emotionally? Because if not, that's probably the problem. You don't want this enough. It's good. I'm seeing you guys sort of identify what has moved you in the past as well. So Roger, I feel sluggish. That's a, that's a classic one, isn't it? It's a, it's a, a physical tiredness feeling i'd say that'd be one of the number one barriers to discipline for people just a kind of can't be bothered 
And it's amazing how often this feeling appears to be physical when it's mental. So I often feel tired about going for a run at the end of the day. Once I start running, I can run for ages. It turns out the tiredness was in my mind and not my body. My body had actually gone underutilized most of the day. It's full of energy. But it was very convincing in my mind that I was tired. And there's other times you genuinely are tired, but your capability within that tiredness is far beyond what you think it is. You can do a lot more tired than you thought you could. You know? But that sluggish feeling, that drag, that weight around your neck can be enough to go, fuck it, I can't move at all, rather than maybe I can move a little bit. But again, if you've got a poor reason to do it versus a tired feeling, it's not much of a battle, is it? The tired feeling's going to win. Whereas if you've got a very fucking strong reason to do something, it doesn't matter how tired you are. You think of like the ultimate motivation, like somebody's grabbed your child and pointing a gun to their head. No matter how tired you are, you'll move. You'll do whatever needs to be done to cure that situation. So really a compelling reason why is the key here. You need to find something that's so compelling, it doesn't matter how you feel. Commands identified a really, really important one is that compelling reason often comes from pain. You know, wanting to get out of pain is probably the greatest mover for people. That's why people are so moved by guilt, depression, anxiety. It hurts and we don't want to hurt anymore. I think it was actually Tony Robbins. I'm not a big fan of his, but he has a great uh, sort of saying is that change happens when the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of change. There's often two pains in conflict here. There might be the pain of say guilt of staying home all day versus the pain of going into work. And those two pains are in battle with each other. Which pain is least painful? I'm somebody who likes to motivate myself with pain. So when I think of, say, why I should eat healthy, it's not like, because then I'll have a six-pack and everybody will think I'm muscly. It's not like that. I think, because I'm going to fucking die if I don't. And I'm going to die with a heart attack. And it's going to be a sharp pain in my chest. And I'm going to go numb. I'll be lying in a hospital and weak and helpless. I'd rather eat a salad than that. You know, salad's far less painful than dying slowly in a hospital bed. Routines, as Andrew's identified. I mean, discipline is a routine, but being undisciplined is also a routine often. It is also a pattern of behavior. So if you're trying to discipline yourself to not drink alcohol, it's going to be very hard if you've got a pattern of drinking alcohol at the same time each day for the same reason each day. You're created a neural pathway that you find really easy to follow. I call these water slides. Once you get on at the top, you slide all the way to the bottom. So once you have your first sip of beer, you're going to have six and you always have six. That kind of pattern that you always follow. And it usually starts right at the beginning of the day. At the beginning of the day, you're like, ah, oh, shit, it's another hard day at work. You've already started the pathway to having a drink because that's where it begins. That's actually where you need to intervene. You know, 
And as Andrew identifies, often the temptations, the instant gratifications are a dopamine hit. Dopamine's incredibly addictive. In neurochemical terms, it blocks receptors. You're not able to experience things like serotonin, uh, oxytocin, when your receptors are full of dopamine. It's kind of like one-way traffic. Nobody else can get in. So the only good feeling you can get is dopamine because you block the ability to feel confident. <clears throat> All right. So let's keep going. I'll come back to some of your comments in a minute. Another... Another really important part is the lack of responsibility. So what happens to allow an undisciplined process to occur is you give up your power. You say, this is beyond me, too strong for me. I cannot resist. And this kind of blaming process happens. You might even blame yourself in this weird way, like I can't help it because I'm addicted. So you're blaming this thing you call addiction somehow deprives you of decision-making abilities. It's a great one to see with people who are smokers. They say, I can't stop smoking, I'm addicted. And then you put them on a 12-hour flight and they survive just fine. Why? Because you take away their ability to choose to smoke. It turns out they can choose not to smoke. This idea that they can't go without one is a lie that they tell themselves. They can go without one. They go without one every time they sleep. They go without one in between every cigarette. They go without one whenever they have to go on a plane or they're in a building that doesn't allow smoking or whatever. They survive just fine. They might be uncomfortable, but they can handle it. The lie they tell themselves is, I can't. I can't handle it. I can't survive that pain of not having a cigarette. And that is a lack of responsibility. It's blaming something. It's removing the power. I can't go to work because I feel too tired. It's like saying I can't choose to do something while I'm tired. Well, you actually, you can. Try it. You can do it just fine. But this giving up of your power is an important step to instant gratification. It gets rid of the guilt. You're like, well, I'm a slave to this thing. I can't be blamed for my decision-making. And therefore, I can do it again and again and again, because poor me, right? It's one of the things I had to get to with my eating, is every time I picked up a piece of unhealthy food, I had to look at it and go, I'm choosing to eat this. Nobody's forcing me. If this wasn't available to me, I'd survive just fine. So this is an additional extra that I don't need. Now, I can eat it, but I should not pretend that I'm not choosing to eat it deliberately. Maybe it's something like masturbating to porn. Nobody's ever tied your hand to your dick and pinned your eyes open and go, watch this shit. No, you sat down and turned on the computer and typed in the website and did whatever else is your ritual, right? You did all of that. But in your mind, you're saying, well, I can't help myself. Except you're helping yourself just fine. Okay, you're doing exactly what you want to be doing. And it's an important element to discipline is no matter what it is you end up choosing, even if you fall down. Note, I chose to fall down. 
so that you can feel the guilt and the responsibility instead of being this powerless victim. Because discipline is power. Powerful people are disciplined. Victims cannot discipline themselves. But we choose the perspective of the victim. You know, I used to see this when I walked through prisons all the time. You can see the victims and the responsible in prison. The responsible guy is studying. He's doing workouts all the time. He's doing the work he needs to do for his next parole hearing. He's in a place where he has no freedom by our standards, and yet he's constantly disciplined. I've seen guys who have life sentences, doing a workout every morning, reading books, getting education. That's responsibility. I've seen guys who only have a six-month sentence, bitching, whining, complaining, getting really overweight, not learning anything, not taking advantage of any of the resources there, not making friends. It's only a mindset difference. It's got nothing to do with being in prison. You know, it's a reaction to being in prison. So one of the key elements that helped me control my eating, and I think it can help you control your alcohol use or your porn use or whatever else you want to discipline, is just literally saying out loud, I'm choosing to do this. Making it kind of a rule. You're not allowed to do anything until you admit to responsibility. So I don't have to do this. I'm choosing to. So that later on, you can't go, oh, why do I keep doing this? You know, well, because I keep choosing to. That's exactly why. That's the only reason why. So you can't shift the blame. Okay. I just checked in and got lots of comments coming through. Let me just check those. Kamal's saying getting worn out by business and getting overloaded. So yeah, so motivation is the burnout. Definitely use that pain. Oh, so it goes on. So when you finish my projects, just relax. Suppose I want more friends, connection, dreams, have energy and time to connect with others. Yeah, this is a great example, Kamal, because that sounds like you're trying to motivate yourself with future pleasures. And they're not putting up much of an argument. It's kind of like lawyers in court when you're trying to motivate yourself. There's a lawyer fighting for instant gratification and there's a lawyer fighting for the goal and whoever makes the strongest case wins. And if your case is, oh, I might have some time maybe to connect with some people, the instant gratification lawyer is going to destroy that. He's going to like, but you can feel good right now, this real awesome feeling right now. It's fucking right there, right in front of you. It's going to be mean. You know, and the other lawyer's like, no, but what about friends and stuff? It just doesn't have a compelling case. This is why I think tapping into pain and future pain is a great one. We're going to talk about this. I might skip ahead, but we're going to talk about chain decisions later, which is to look at the decision you're making now as a lifetime series of similar decisions. So one of the things that helped me quit smoking was I'm never having one cigarette. I'm having a lifetime of smoking. Because if I have one, then I'm going to have another. So every one I have is actually a commitment to smoking for life. So I'm not just having this pleasurable cigarette. I'm having lung cancer. 
I'm having shortness of breath always and dizziness. I'm having this endless cough. I'm having bad smelling fingers and I'm having it forever. I'm having it in every relationship I have. I'm having it in front of my children. I'm having it in the hospital where I eventually die from this. Every puff takes me down that path. And being very, very clear in my head, like here's another piece of cancer. Here's another piece. It's very hard to smoke when you think like that. Trust me. It's easy to smoke when you're like, ah, I relieved my stress that was actually caused by the last cigarette. So Kamal, when I look at your one, rather than this idea of being relaxed in the future, ask yourself, what would a lifetime of being burned out look like? What would a lifetime of being overwhelmed and stressed look like? And every time you choose a thing that's overwhelming and stressful, you're choosing the lifetime of it. You know, and to really map it out, what are the consequences of this lifetime? How long do I live? How, what's the quality of that life? What happens to my relationships? What happens to my body? What happens to my mind? And you do this both for good decisions and, and kind of bad decisions. Like when I choose, say, being healthy over being you know, a smoker, I'm choosing a lifetime of high energy. I'm choosing a lifetime of easy breathing. I'm choosing a lifetime of being able to catch, you know, keep up with my kids and my friends. Choosing a lifetime of being able to do physical hobbies. Every time I don't smoke, I'm choosing that. These chains. Rather than this, because what instant gratification will try to trick you into thinking is that this is a one-off. Right? I'm just going to masturbate to porn this one time. As if that's the last one. It's not the fucking last one. It's not even in the last thousand, right? You're going to keep masturbating the porn unless you stop it now. Okay. We're going to get into that in a bit because that can um, backfire and you think, oh, well, if I'm going to do it forever, I might as well keep doing it, which is that lawyer for instant gratification making his case, you know. But the key is, and I, I talked about this in a video I put out recently, Motivation is not pleasure, but pain. You know, pain is going to motivate you so much more than pleasure will. Especially delayed pleasure. Delayed pleasure like confidence, for example, doesn't put up much of a case to instant pleasure like drinking alcohol. Right? But the pain of being an alcoholic and of being out of control of yourself and having liver disease puts up a pretty good case against the pleasure of having a drink now. You'll notice that in order to engage in unhealthy activities, you kind of have to ignore and dismiss the negative side effects. But what you can do is rather than trying to control the behavior, make sure you always take responsibility for the side effects. You say, I can have this drink as long as I accept cancer, liver disease, tiredness all the time, whatever it is that you experience or will experience from this level of drinking forever. Okay? This is the payment for this drink is that chain of events. You don't have to lie to yourself. Like, oh man, if I keep having three beers a week, my head will fall off. You just tell yourself, well, no, I'll be tired all the time. I'll have constant hangovers and sore eyes. Are we disconnected from my family? Whatever it is you already know happens from this. Okay, you don't have to make stuff up to try and like scare yourself. 
<clears throat> Henry asks, so the key to an ongoing induction is the victim mentality. Yeah, it's kind of a loop. If you're in the victim space, you're more likely to take instant gratifications. The more often you take instant gratifications, the less responsible power you'll have and round and round you go. You know, I've worked with drug addicts for many years and that victim mindset is what they all have in common. This, I can't help it. It's a belief they need to believe because that gives them permission to do all the other stuff, to steal and lie, to take the drugs, to avoid taking care of their kids, all the other stuff they do to support the habit has to start with this, well, I'm powerless. Which is a lie, of course, because if you put them in a position where they need something even more than they need drugs, they control themselves. You know. Um, and that's why one of the key elements to breaking bad habits is to take responsibility for it. You can keep doing it as long as you own it. I choose to do this. I don't have to, I'm choosing to. Nothing's forcing me, I'm choosing to. And to know what you're choosing. I'm choosing a lifetime of this. Rather than dealing with it now, I'm just going to deal with it never. Because there is only now. Right? What your, what your lawyer for instant gratification will do is tell you, we'll deal with it tomorrow, next week. I mean, how many people are waiting for Monday to start their diet, right? The greatest trick, that's the lawyer to delay the case. That's actually what real lawyers do all the time as well. The longer you put off a case, the more likely it is to be dismissed. Because a lawyer knows as long as you keep doing it, his case gets stronger. He just needs to delay the final verdict as often as possible. Every time he makes you fail to do your diet, you become less powerful, and therefore less likely to do it. And it goes on and on. So I think that's the key here is to understand that this is two lawyers debating and your job is to make a stronger case for the thing that's good for you. And Kamal makes a good point. Some of the negatives are not that obvious where they're heading, like porn. So seductive and pleasurable, you know, it's soft-edged. Um, it's almost like an entity, yeah. That, that voice in your brain going, go on, it's not that bad. No one's going to get hurt. It feels good. You're just a normal guy. We'll deal with it tomorrow. That case that the lawyer makes, very convincing case. <clears throat> One element of it, doesn't matter if the behavior itself doesn't have any majorly measurable physical long-term effects that you're aware of, is you can ask yourself, what does a lifetime of me not being able to control myself look like? Because ultimately, your real problem with the behavior is that you can't stop yourself doing it. That's the thing that bothers you the most. Because that's the sense where you go, do I actually have any autonomy? Am I really out of control of myself? And for me, that's the most horrifying and, and most motivating force. I could eat certain amounts of sugar and have a reasonably good life for a reasonably long time. But do I want to feel like I can't control my eating for the rest of my life? To be a slave to a spoon? That's the bit that bothers me. And the insinuations, I mean, I, I see myself as a confidence coach. How can I call myself that? If I can't resist a chocolate bar, 
How is that a definition of a confident guy? A lifetime of being a fraud? So for me, it, it, it always comes back to that kind of sense of integrity and power, which is like, say, for example, you, you wanted to get into the habit of having a cold shower and you can't do it. Look, you'll survive fine without a cold shower. Okay, you, you'll have a long, lustrous life with or without one. It doesn't have that big effect, scientifically speaking, on health, despite what a lot of people like to claim. But if having a cold shower is a symbol of your ability to control yourself, then you've got to ask yourself, do I want a lifetime of failing to control myself? It's not really about the cold shower but about that ability to decide to do something that you think is right for you, even when you're tempted not to. So ultimately, the, one of the great things about self-discipline is that the motivation to be disciplined is to be disciplined. And that's it, to control yourself, because it's the only thing you can control. A lot of people feel very out of control in this world, and they're so busy trying to control other people or trying to control money, trying to control their family their job and they're avoiding the one thing they can control, which is themselves. And they wonder why they always feel this neediness for control. It's because they're always reminded every day that they relapse to porn use or drink or whatever it is they do, that they don't control themselves. And for me, that's the lifetime that scares me. I was being a guy who never quite controls himself. Let's go through some of the other things that get in the way of people maintaining these. <clears throat> one is, a, is quite a practical one, which is failing to set clear, measurable standards in the first place, to not even really know what self-control would look like. So there's nothing to measure it against. You know, a definition of discipline with, with boundaries. This is a fail and this is a pass. Fear likes to blur the boundaries. You know, like... You'll be trying to be disciplined with money, but it won't look at your budget. So you just think you're spending okay, but you haven't actually calculated it. So being very clear on what is a pass and a fail and making sure that that's something you can control. You know, avoidance of measuring is avoidance of lapses. You avoid acknowledging why it is that you fail to keep up the standards. So it always seems like a mystery. So why do I always relapse to porn? Well, you're not watching what leads up to porn. You're not watching how you manage your mood that day. You're not watching the stories you tell yourself, the, the water slide, you're not seeing it, what it looks like, what it looks like to get on it. The kind of, when I work with addicts, there's this thing we call the seemingly irrelevant decision, the SID. It's a key process in the relapse cycle, which is you do something that doesn't seem to be relevant but is actually a really high risk move. Like for example, a drug addict might just decide to go for a walk. Doesn't seem to be related to drug addiction to go for a walk. And yet he always tends to walk past the tinny house. Now he doesn't realize that those two things are connected. He thinks, no, I'm going for a walk, it's healthy. But really his brain is like, let's trick him to go to the drug place. We'll tell him it's just a walk. And if you're not watching yourself and monitoring the steps you take, for your bad behaviors, you'll miss those ones. These little things like classic one is somebody who drink drives a lot is that they drive into work on a Friday and they think, well, I'm driving to work. It's no big deal. 
except they always drink on a Friday night. So now they've set themselves up with a car and drinking. That's where they need to intervene, is to give their wife the keys on Friday morning and say, drop me off at work so I don't have a fucking car, so I can't drink drive. You know, they don't, they don't see it. That's the, that's the bit where you intervene. So measuring yourself, discipline. I mean, the first piece of discipline has to be journaling. I did it again. Why did I do it again? I failed to do it. What was the story I told myself? How did I let go of, dis- of responsibility? What, what barriers came up that I haven't dealt with properly? And so on. We tend to have a blindness. And sometimes it's just genuine ignorance. Not all of us study the right things we need to be studying to understand this stuff. You know, I'm lucky to have done so much study in psychology to understand how the chemicals in my brain work and, and to, to learn to manage those. And there's an education side to discipline. Discipline is just a skill set, which means it comes with a base of knowledge. You need to understand how the brain works. You know, what influences decision making and give yourself the best possible chance. You know, dopamine binging reduces motivation. So you might wonder, why am I struggling to go to the gym? And you don't realize it's because you're eating sugary foods all day or because you masturbated last night. Your body's been flooded with dopamine. It's reduced all desire to go and do anything. See, dopamine's supposed to move you. But if you binge on it, you become unmoved. It's a really sort of uh, double-edged sword here. You know, you're supposed to want to go to the gym like, fuck yeah, let's go do some fucking push-ups. That's what dopamine's there for. But if you've used it all up, eating sugar and watching Netflix and masturbating, you're just going to get to the gym and just be like, eh, can't be fucked. So you lost all your juice. You lost your mojo. You've used it all up. There's a limited amount. It takes a while for the, for the chemicals to be reuptake, you know, for them to come back into the system for reuse. They're kind of like... Um, I don't know, they're like taxis. They have to all come back to the pool before they can go out again. If you've been binging, you're going to lose them. And you can, guys especially compartmentalize their life. They think, you know, there's health and fitness, then there's my career, then there's my relationships. And we get into this mind that these things don't affect each other. You know, I can have good relationships but poor health. So no, if you've got poor health, then everything's suffering. Your relationship is suffering somehow from you not going to the gym. You know, your motivation to go to the gym is suffering from somehow from the way you're dealing with your relationship problems. For example, if you're avoiding conflict in your relationship and just taking the easy way out, then you're going to be affecting your ability to be disciplined with the gym as well. You understand, like, this is one of the key things I had a couple of clients, like, working on their confidence. They just kept slipping. Now, I don't get it. And I'd say something, well, when's the last time you exercised? Uh, what's exercise got to do with it? You know, well, everything's connected to everything. And so again, somebody's just suddenly had a bad week and that coincided with the week that they started procrastinating on their exercise. But they compartmentalized too much. They couldn't see the link. You've got to think of yourself as a team that can only move as fast as its slowest runner. Okay, if you're not taking care of one area of your life, then you'll go as fast as that area of your life. Okay. So when it comes to discipline and self-control, there's this kind of idea of keeping everything as healthy as possible. 
we've already talked about this, but one of the biggest barriers is being reliant on positive motivation. You're waiting to feel good to do the right thing. I think it's the biggest belief mistake that we make. You have to do the right thing to feel good. We look at it backwards. We're always trying to feel good first instead of earning it. Once you break this pattern, it becomes easy to do. Like I know that I'm going to feel good after I do my workout, not before it. I'm going to feel good after my cold shower, not before it. I'll feel good after I confront my wife, not, definitely not before and certainly not during. You know, I've learned to delay the gratification and it becomes, at first it's like a faith-based thing. You're like, I will feel good later, but I'm not going to feel good now. And after a while, you prove it to yourself, like I'm definitely going to feel good later. but you can't rely on that. Like I said, the feel good now is a very strong fucking argument. You know, that lawyer knows what he's talking about. He's been, he's been fighting this case his whole life. He knows what to say to move you. He's got a very strong case and that's what you're up against. There's another key practical error that I think a lot of people make. And I certainly did which is you don't remove barriers and temptations that you could easily remove. Like my, one of my biggest problems is I was trying to stop eating sugar, but we always had chocolate and stuff in, in the house. It only took like a brief impulse and a few steps and I was eating it. You know, there's no, there's no chance to delay those urges. You know, somebody like keeps going late to work, but they keep their alarm right next to their bed so they don't have to get out of bed. If they just put it by the door and they had to get out to turn it off, they'd never be late to work. Very, very simple barrier to manage. You know? Or you're surrounded by enablers. You spend a lot of time with people who encourage you to do bad things. You know, you're making it hard for yourself. Stop fucking spending time with them. You know, there's some really simple things you can do to just up your discipline points. I mean, let's say you got to get to an eight out of 10 before you can be disciplined. And you got to look at like all the pluses and minuses in your life and come to a kind of score. You know, if you've got chocolate in the house, that's a minus one or a minus three. If you've got a friend who's always saying, nah, don't do that. Just fucking relax. You're always trying too hard. That's a minus five. Already you're deep into the negatives here. No wonder you're struggling to discipline yourself. You're not an individual unit. You're connected to everything. Every word influences you. Every awareness of everything influences you. So you want to, what uh, Mike calls climate, you want to make the climate as, as supportive as possible. Make discipline easy, not hard. Especially at the beginning. Later on, you can challenge yourself to make it harder. But like, I saw it when I, I lived in my old flat. I was surrounded by people who just wanted to do drugs all the time and party all the time. They had no ambitions for life. They didn't care about their bodies. They gossiped all the time. There was like six of them and one of me. And I just, I just felt them conquering me. They were too strong. I thought of myself as such a strong, independent person, but then I'd find myself engaging in a bit of gossip or like succumbing to the temptation to do some drugs on the weekend, even though I'd promised myself I wasn't going to do that anymore. I was just like, holy shit, I'm in the wrong climate. Like, I can't beat my climate. I'm not superhuman. I need to get the fuck out of here. You know? And you've got to solve your logistical problems. Maybe you need to get up earlier to fit everything in. 
If money's in the way, budget. Go see a financial advisor. Make this as easy for yourself as possible. It's going to be hard enough just to maintain discipline. You don't need to add extra unnecessary barriers on top of that. Okay? If you've got a problem with eating, don't buy shit food when you go shopping. Make it so, like I had a rule before that worked quite well for me, which is I can eat whatever I want as long as I'm willing to walk to the supermarket to get it. You can create these kind of rules where it's like, all right, I'm not going to tell you you can't have it. You just have to earn it. And quite often you look at earning and go, you know, I can't be fucked walking. Screw it. I'll just have a cup of tea. That'll do. And that worked quite well for me. Now, I'm not saying that would work for everyone, but you can find your own ones. But the key is like, there's these great apps. Let's say you find yourself addicted to porn. There's these apps you can set up which will make you into a really long, complicated code before you can unlock porn sites. It gives you about two minutes to think this through. And it's also logical work, so you get out of your like emotional brain for a second. It'll give you this enough delay to go, do I really want to do this? Am I making this decision? Am I happy with this decision? Is this the guy I want to be? Is this worth it? Because you just, you need that time to think this through because instant gratification is what it sounds like. Instant, it's impulsive, urgent. It relies on a quick burst. It's like, uh, it's like a drag car. It doesn't go the distance. It just goes very fast for a very short distance. And discipline is about being able to survive that urge. And often just delaying your ability to satisfy the urge is all that's needed. You just need something that gets in the way for you to have some time to think. You know? If you're a drinker, don't keep alcohol in the house. All right? Make it so, look, if you get to the point where you desperately need a drink, you can have one, but you have to walk to the liquor store. You're not allowed to keep it in the house where you could just quickly satisfy that need. some more comments coming through Andrew you see this already pain is a driver for example if I don't swim for a couple of weeks I get a really sore back yep conversely once benefits begin to become evident becomes easier lose weight you feel better look better and then the desire for sugar and processed carbs especially when there are other unhealthy people around yeah this was one of the next points I was going to make I've already said this but I'd say the biggest barrier to, to discipline is being in an unsupportive environment which can be either you're around people who actually push you to do negative things or you're just not around anyone who pushes you to do positive things we are a social species we're not tigers okay we, we're programmed to influence and be influenced by each other and there's no point in fighting this when you can use it to your advantage it's one of the reasons we have the brojo community Ask them what they think you should do, you know? Share what you're planning to do with them and see how they react to it. As opposed to your friend from high school who you probably shouldn't be friends with anymore who keeps telling you to do shit that's bad for you because he keeps doing shit that's bad for him and he wants a partner in doing it. You know, if it's just him versus you, you're going to lose. Right? But if it's him versus a community of people that tell you the opposite, then it's, again, it's, it's like more lawyers coming into the debate. 
<clears throat> that's why I often recommend people with alcohol problems get involved with Alcoholics Anonymous. It's not because I think the 12-step program works. I don't think it does, not very effectively, but groups are very helpful. Supportive groups can be the tipping point when you're at your weakest. They can help you in that initial phase where you're trying to set the habit. Lean on other people. You're going to become independent later. Just get to the point where you can do it. And then you can wean off that support so you can do it on your own. Like if going to the gym is hard, start with a gym buddy. And then slowly wean yourself onto doing sessions by yourself as well. To one day you don't need the gym buddy, but have that support system there. Make it as easy as possible to be disciplined and as difficult as possible to be undisciplined. You don't have to make this harder than it already is. Make it as easy as possible, right? That's why, I mean, this is a skill set. This isn't about you know, some sort of inner power or strength. It's about smarts. Make it easy for yourself, right? Until it becomes a habit. Once it becomes a habit, then it will be easy. You'll no longer require any sort of push of discipline. You just do it because you always do it. Right? That's, the, that's the goal. But to get there is the hard bit. Use every resource available and destroy every negative temptation that you can. Right? Stack the odds in your favor. You know, it's amazing how many people seemingly deliberately put themselves in a difficult situation to be disciplined and they'll they'll excuse it they'll say you know this is to like really test me like no it's not it's just fear putting you in a situation you're going to lose by pretending to be ego you know so i had so many drug addicts they're like you know what i think i'm ready to go hang out with my drug friends again you know just to test myself i'm like no, you're not you're gonna relapse don't bullshit me now, I know in your head you think that's true, but you're just being conned. The lawyer's throwing like one last gambit in there, one last trick, playing to your ego, your sense of independence. Tell you what, successful people are not independent, they're resourceful. Okay? They use whatever help they can get. Independent people suffer alone. Simple as that. Right, what else we got? <clears throat> Henry, my ex had the shopping addiction psychological problem. She put some effort to go to psychologist, meditation, etc. But I had the impression she relied on other people to fix her and all her effort was to find them. Why do you think that is? Yeah, some people seek enablers. You know, it's amazing how many people are able to con a therapist into saying, poor you, you are the victim. They're looking for people to confirm that victim story. There's also some people who they put a lot of effort into looking like they're changing to relieve themselves of guilt. Like you see this in self-development a lot where people go to lots of webinars and seminars and retreats and everything, but they don't actually do anything different in their day-to-day -day life. You see, I mean, this is the, in my opinion, like the business model for Tony Robbins. People just go there and then they go to the next one. They get all hyped up for a weekend and they fill in all these pieces of paper and then they go home and they live the same way they've always lived, you know? Because they're still trying to avoid the difficult bit where you feel uncomfortable. It's not uncomfortable to go to a workshop and hug people and set goals and feel all inspired. What's uncomfortable is to go home and actually do that shit. That's the bit that sucks. 
And so a lot of people will take steps like going to see a psychologist is actually pretty easy. You go to some, someone you get to bitch about your problems for an hour. Who wouldn't want to do that? You know? But you'll find that that person will quit with a good psychologist. Because a good psychologist will be like, why do you keep doing to this to yourself? You complained about this last week. Are you trying to get me to enable you? So on. But most average therapists will just go, oh, yes, poor you. It happened again. Because all they do is talk kind of thing. You know, so that's why I often think about the difference between therapy and coaching. Like therapy is for people who have trauma and they need to process it. Coaching is for people who move forward. And quite often people who need to move forward go to therapy instead because they can basically pretend to be too traumatized to move forward as a way to avoid it. Whereas somebody's really ready to move forward will get frustrated with therapy and move to coaching. Just like somebody comes to coaching and really needs therapy won't be able to move forward. Um, but yeah, while I say you should rely on, not rely, you should use whatever resources possible. Always think of them as training wheels. You're building up to being able to do this on your own. You're trying to make that happen as quickly as possible. To become dependent on someone else is actually a way to fail to discipline yourself because you're just waiting for that person to let you down. Then you can blame them for it. I can't go to the gym anymore because Dave's not going. That's what, that was actually my old one. Me and David Greer used to go to the gym together. And then his schedule changed. I'm like, well, if he can't go, I'm fucked. They just sit home and eat chips. Like I couldn't get to the gym myself. You know? So I actually de made myself dependent on him, which was actually a long-term trick to get me out of going to the gym. Whereas as soon as I started going, I should have been going like a session with him and a session without him on and off. So that if he ever couldn't make it, it wasn't some unusual thing for me. You know? But ultimately, I'm in favor of getting support more than not. Even being dependent on support, at least it's more likely for you to do something good than you being independent but not strong enough on your own. In which case, you're just proud but still not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Um, what else? I don't want to go on too long here, but... Um, yeah, some key things we've already covered. The belief that everything should be enjoyable. No, it shouldn't. A lot of the good stuff isn't, not immediately. I mean, we've known this since most ancient of philosophies were written and recorded, that delayed gratification is what most people report as being a satisfying life. That instant gratification is essentially a temptation um, from times where we had to pick all the berries in one bush if we found them because we don't know when the next berries were going to come along and and we had to eat the entire rhinoceros all in one go because the meat would go off and we don't know where the next meat's coming from. We've got a brain that used to rely on survival through instant gratification. We don't have that situation anymore. And it's now reversed on us. To be instantly gratifying all the time is now bad for our health because there's too many resources. Right? But we can train ourselves. In a lifetime, you can evolve. You can train yourself to see that certain things that don't feel great right now are very good for you. And certain things that feel awesome for you right now are terrible for you. And you need to see them for what they are. You'll find that one of the distracting things you do are kind of like, again, compartmentalizing and not noticing how things affect each other is you'll deprive yourself of resources that you need for something else, like you'll waste time. 
get to the end of the day, you're like, oh my God, I'm too tired. I don't have enough time for my hobbies without realizing you spent a cumulative hour and a half scrolling on Facebook. That's a whole hobby right there. And you'd be amazed at how many people spend that time and more doing something completely pointless, unhelpful, unnecessary, wasting energy, you know, so trying to solve a problem that can't be solved and then you're burned out by the end of the day and not realizing that's why you can never feel like going for a run. You're constantly trying to control something you shouldn't. Throwing money away on shit and then not having money for the resources you want. I mean, it's one of my classic dilemmas as a coach. Most of the time when I tell someone about my services, the first reaction to my price is, oh my God, I can't afford that. And yet that same person will be binging on alcohol every weekend for about roughly the same cost. Like you can't afford it. You're just choosing to buy that instead of this. But people don't see the connection. Like I used to always be like, fuck, why am I always broke? And I make pretty good money sort of thing back when I was working in corrections. And then one day I finally looked at my budget. I've told you this before, but I was spending literally hundreds of dollars a month on Subway sandwiches. It's a weird thing to be losing a lot of money on, you know, but it was an instant gratification. I used to have this ritual. I'd get stoned. I'd go to Subway. I'd get the full fucking service with the cookies and everything. And then I'd sit down to a movie and have the whole experience and just oh, binge on dopamine, you know, and then I'd be like, ah, oh, why am I too scared to talk to girls? As if those things weren't connected. It's because I've used up all my dopamine. And there's been no serotonin that whole time. So now I'm like this timid little mouse with no drive, no balls. And my fucking bank account's depleted. I can't even afford to go out anymore. I was like sabotaging myself by wasting my resources in other areas and not seeing the connection. It's really important to become minimalist and sparse. Be very, someone who says no a lot, like, right, I need my resources for my shit. I'm only spending them where it's very, very important. Right? No, you can't have that time. I need it for the gym. No, you can't have that energy. I need that for meeting new people. And you store it and you hoard it. You're very careful on where you invest it. That'll be most of the problem solved. Because you'll find, like, you'll have the discipline to go and meet new people if you're bursting with energy. Right? Then you'll have courage and passion and all those things you need. But to be in that state, you've got to stop wanking to porn all the time and you've got to stop binging on sugar. And you've got to stop wasting your time in arguments at work and email debates. You've got to stop scrolling on Facebook. You're going to conserve those resources. So by the time Saturday comes around, you're like, fuck yeah, I'm ready to do something. I'm bored, let's do it. Right? Let me just come back to the comments. We're going to move on now to how to be disciplined. That was just why we aren't, which is my favorite thing to talk about, but you're here to learn how, right? Andrew says, I don't know if this relates to discipline, but I recently had a real life experience of only getting the outcome that I had thought I wanted once I truly let go of attachment to the outcome, not just intellectually, but at a deep emotional level. But that would imply that giving up trying to be disciplined is the key, and obviously it's not your thoughts. Okay. Yeah, so if I'm hearing you right, there's a concept where you finally let go of attachment to the outcome and then you get it. It's that kind of marvelous thing that if you try to do that, it doesn't work. You have to genuinely do it for it to work. 
it's like uh, when I finally said, okay, I'm going to be single forever. And then girls started flooding into my life. And I was like trying to trick myself into thinking I wanted to be single forever and the girls ran away again. So trying to be disciplined is something else. Okay. It's actually not trying to be disciplined that gets in the way of it. Like, cause it's just a skill set. You got to start looking at being disciplined as driving a car, eating with a knife and fork. It's just something you learn how to do and then you just can repeat it and get good at it. Okay. Um, oh, excuse me. It's being disciplined is not an outcome. It is a process, a skill. It's not something you get. What you get from being disciplined is a sense of power, is the, the greatness of delayed gratification. So instead of getting high off short-term rewards, you get long-term, like I call it baseline moves. Like if you, if you wank the pawn, you'll get this spike, this high, and then you'll quickly crash afterwards. But if you avoid masturbation and porn use for a significant period of time, your overall base level of confidence moves up. It's not a high, but it's a new base level. You're walking around, you're standing taller, you're feeling stronger. You don't get that spike, but you get this kind of like, fuck yeah, you know, this confidence. And ultimately, that's, that's the outcome of discipline. As long as you're disciplining yourself to do behaviors that create that outcome, right? But you don't, it's not about doing it for that outcome. For me, discipline itself is a value. You do it for the sake of being disciplined because that's actually the outcome in itself. When I see myself, like if I go a whole day and I eat healthy all day and I do my exercise and I manage my work and I serve people and I confront my girlfriend and do all the things I know I'm supposed to do, at the end of the day, I'm just like, fuck yeah, I am the man. I got this. I crushed it today. And I've got to earn that feeling by being disciplined. I don't get that feeling from masturbating to porn. You know, after, after a wank, I'm not like, fuck yeah, I am really on top of my life. You know, I never, it's quite the opposite. Oh God, done it again. What's wrong with me? Right. So not really sure where I'm going with that, <clears throat> but being disciplined in itself is the reward. And you'll know it if you can, this is the, the goal I'll be setting for you guys is to figure out what a disciplined day would look like and just try and do a whole day, just one day of just 100% discipline, no slips. And just see how you feel at the end of that day. Often you can get a burst of pleasurable motivation to get you through one day. You're like, come on, today's the day. No sugar, no porn, no whatever it is. Just doing the good stuff, just spending my money wisely, just helping people just being bold and assertive, whatever it is that a good day would be. Just have a whole good day and see how you feel at the end of that. You know, and compare that to a day where you just binged and fucked around all day and did the opposite. You can have one right after the other and say, which of those do I prefer? And then you'll see that discipline in itself is the reward. Like my muscles don't get bigger right after a workout. There's no noticeable difference. The reward comes from having finished the workout, having pushed myself to failure in each exercise, even though I wanted to give up all these little elements of discipline. So afterwards I, I don't get a high, 
I just feel like the man. Like I'm in control of my life, you know? So let's have a look at how to be disciplined. And I want to emphasize most of this is just my opinion on what works for me. I haven't really confirmed that this is always going to work for other people, though I have seen elements of it work for various people that I admire and follow. <clears throat> what I'd suggest is you need to play with this to find out what works for you, which means discarding anything I do that doesn't work for you. Fuck it, right? That's going to be unique to each individual. With the exception of this first thing, which I think is absolutely universal, you need a clear why. All right, I got this from Simon Sinek more than anybody else. You need to really know why you're going to do this behavior and by that not do another behavior, the temptation. Why are you going to choose this good behavior over the temptation of instant gratification? Why is it a good behavior? And this needs to be compelling. There needs to be a clear description of the pain of not doing it and not doing it for life. You know? Heart attack, too tired to play with your kids, don't trust yourself, lack of confidence, chronic anxiety. What is the cost of you not being disciplined in this way forever? To know that, to see it written out, to, to know what you're choosing if you don't do this. And don't lie to yourself because your brain will go, nah, it's not going to be that bad. You're bullshitting. It needs to be accurate. You know what it's like already because you've already done this shit for a long time. Well, not done it, is it, depending on how you're talking about it. And to compare that, you also need a clear description of what doing it consistently means. What's the reward of a long-term disciplined pattern of this behavior? Energetic, confident, proud of yourself, admired as a father. You know, look in the mirror and think, fuck yeah, he's the man. And you get to think that and you earned it. It's not some positive bullshit self-talk thing. It's just assessment of facts. For it to be factually true that you're the man, you know? That's quite often how I look at it. I want to look in the mirror and go, fucking nailed it. And I know that it's true. I ticked all the boxes. I did at least an 80% success rate on what I'm trying to do for myself. And that's not about outcomes, but discipline. I tried to do it the best I could. That's the win, you know. And you want to review this constantly because the fear, the, the lawyer for instant gratification is trying to make you not look at this. It doesn't want to acknowledge this because that's a really compelling argument. It wants you to think, nah, just this one time or it's not connected. And we'll talk about it on Monday. It wants to delay the case. And I would suggest until it's a firm habit, review the shit daily. And even once it becomes a habit, review it regularly because it can change. You might actually find that the thing you're doing wasn't as healthy as you thought it was, or you've learned of a new technique that's better or whatever, and therefore you need to change it. Begin to have it first and then change it. You know? So I might be like, fuck you, I'm going to exercise every day, and which is my current one. But I've also seen some research saying that too much exercise can cause inflammation, which might be bad for my health in the future. So maybe my future would be maybe a different type of exercise or less or something else instead. 
But for now, I just want to discipline myself to do the first thing, you know. And I journal every day, like every time I skip exercise, I wrote, I chose heart disease today. You know, when I did exercise, I chose confidence today. I wasn't really choosing exercise. I'm choosing the lifetime that comes with it. That chain of events. You know, when you look at your smoking, you go, I chose cancer today. And when you don't smoke, you go, I chose to be an energetic father today. Even if you don't have kids yet. So know the reason why. That's going to be most of this. And think, like, people often talk about 21 days. I think 30 is a better number. Compliance for 30 days before you can be sure it's a habit. You want to get to the point where you start doing it on autopilot, where the, like, temptation to not do it just feels like someone's sort of tugging at your shirt as you walk away, but they don't really have any major influence. Like, I can feel like every morning I don't really want to have a cold shower. I can feel that kind of tug of resistance. But by the time I'm in the bathroom, I get into this ritual. I take a piss, I open the shower door, I go brush my teeth, I come back, get on the shower, turn on the cold. It's become a step-by-step that I do every single morning where really I can feel anything I want to feel and my body just goes through the motions. Now I know it's a habit. But until then, I had to be like reviewing why I'm doing this. I want to be somebody who can choose the difficult option which is the main reason why I do cold showers. I want to be able to step into something I don't want to do. It's my training. I do that every morning. It makes it easier to do the rest of the day. <clears throat> Set goals with two different measures, ideal and minimum. Minimum is really important. A lot of people will set these ambitious goals, but because they're only setting the ideal level, something they're likely to fall short on a lot of the time, they're actually setting themselves up for failure. If you're like, I'll go to the gym and do a 90-minute workout every day, you're not going to. You're not. But if you're like, I will arrive at the gym every day and begin an exercise, that's my minimum. My ideal is I stay to do this full P90X workout or something like that, But just arriving and lifting a weight counts as, uh, I get a green tick for that, that counts as going to the gym. It needs to be like the barest minimum that would get you there and doing the thing. Which brings up a point, discipline is about doing something, it's not about not doing something. My mum's a psychologist, she always says um, you should only set goals, uh, you shouldn't set goals that a corpse can do. What that means is that your goal can't be to not use porn. Okay, because that's not a do, that's a not do. There's no way to measure that. So I'm, I'm not doing it again. I get seven points out of 50. What the fuck? Like there's no, nothing to measure. So find something to do instead. You know, instead of porn, I'll go for a walk, or instead of porn, I'll try to connect with a real human being. That's a good one. So how many human beings did I try to connect with today? That becomes the mission. But there should be a minimum. If I'm going to go connect with new people, it's not like, okay, I have to make a new friend every day because good luck with that. But 
I could reach out to someone every day as a minimum. Maximum as I go and have a great conversation with somebody and agree to see them next time. But minimum is just somebody I reach out to. And something that's you really can't excuse not doing it. It's too, it's too easy not to do, but it's more than nothing. We've already talked about chain decision predictions, but treat every choice like a series of choices into the future. And this is scientifically valid. The greatest predictor of future behavior is past behavior. Okay, if you want to figure out what someone's going to do, look at what they've always done. That's most likely thing to happen again. People do not change that much as a general principle. It's exceptional to change something significantly. We used to use this with criminal offenders, and it's really fucking accurate. You've got, we've got these tools that look at their whole criminal history and guess what they're going to do and when they're going to do it. And they were fucking accurate. You know, down to the point like he's going to steal a car in the next week. What do you know? He does. The funny things is when you look back, they were actually quite common sense. Like a stolen cars every week for the last 10 years, probably going to steal a car this week. Right. It's not going to be like, Oh my God, he suddenly become a new man. So when you look at your current choices, think this can either be the pattern for life or this could be the day I changed it. But it's not a one-off. There is no one-off. It's either a pattern or it's a complete shift. So this won't be a one-time cigarette. It will be a lifetime of smoking. But if I put that cigarette back in the pack, throw that packet in the trash and go for a run instead, I'm choosing a completely different lifetime, lifetime of health. Right. Just own those decisions. This is a little mental exercise I go through all the time. You know, if I start like typing in the address for a porn website, I'm choosing to masturbate myself to death here forever. Always a victim, always a slave to pieces of flesh on the computer screen. Am I cool with that? <laughs> Honestly, some days I am cool with that. But a lot of days I'm not. A lot of days I was like, I'd rather be the guy who didn't. You know? It's like I had this friend in high school who never smoked cigarettes, even though all the rest of us did. I remember admiring him. I'm like, he's the only one who doesn't. The, the strength of will required for that peer pressure I mean, that was real. I thought that shit was just in the movies until I became a teenager. Like, they were really like, come on, have a cigarette. Like, all the time with him. And he said no every single time. And even back then, I knew, like, that's the kind of guy I want to be. I don't want to be one of the smokers. I want to be one of the ones who's strong enough to say no. You know, but I didn't get it. I didn't get how he could do that. You know? So that's when I look at those chain decisions. Like, I want to be the guy who can say no. I want to be that guy who isn't the slave to this thing. You know? That's what works for me personally. I'm not saying it'll work for everybody. <clears throat> We've already talked about this, but you've got to manage your derailers, the things that are going to fuck this up for you. You mean to manage them ruthlessly. Treat them like enemies, right? Chocolate in the house, that's your enemy. That's poison if you're trying to lose weight, right? 
you've got to identify that everything connects to everything else. So there's something in your, in your life that's not being managed well. Maybe you don't clean your house well. and It's always dirty and it bothers you. Assume that somehow affects your ability to go to the gym. It affects your courage in meeting new people. It's all connected. If it bothers you there, it'll be bothering you everywhere else. You know, one of my clients, he, we just started working together and he refuses to keep his camera on when we have our calls because the room he's in is so messy and he's embarrassed of it. And our whole coaching has been focused on trying to get him to clean that room because that, that room is symbolic. His whole life is represented by that room. He just sent me a picture the other day. He's finally cleaned it. It looks good. And that's a step of responsibility. If he can clean that room, he can clean what's outside that room, he can clean what's inside his head. He can take care of business now. You know, if there's anything you're procrastinating on that's important, understand that that affects your overall view of yourself. You know, it shows you 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 you've failed again at the thing you could do and should control. Try to make it really, really hard to not do it. Ask everyone to keep you honest. You know, if you're trying to lose weight, go to your coworkers and say, don't let me eat chocolate in front of you. Don't let me go to the drinks machine. Try and lose weight. Give me heaps of shit if you see me eating cake or anything like that. Make it so you've got like basically CCTV everywhere. You can't get away with shit. Right? And if people aren't supportive, you'll be able to see it straight away. You know, look, I'm trying to be brave enough to start my own business. I've, I've dedicated myself to doing this action next week. You, you give me shit if you don't do it. If I don't do it. And, and then they say, oh, now come on. You're being a bit hard on yourself. Look, just stay at this job. It's nice and safe. Straight away, you should be like, whoa, what the fuck are you doing? It's not like you have to hate the person or anything, but you just have to say, this person is an enemy to my discipline. I lose points, discipline points, every minute I'm spending time with this person. And I'm choosing that. I wonder why I struggle on the weekend. Why well, I spent three hours with this person this week. That's why I struggled on the weekend. I don't know how that connects exactly, but they're definitely not encouraging, which means they're discouraging. Set alarms, reminders. Don't rely on your memory. It's one of the fear's greatest tricks that says you'll remember. And then it goes, no, you won't. Right. The hippocampus, the amygdala, all the things involved with fear and memory, they're right next to each other. Fear has a lot of control over your memory. This is why people are able to selectively forget traumatic events. All right. Your fear will do everything to help you forget to do the thing you're supposed to be doing if it's uncomfortable. So don't rely on memory. Get your smartphone out. I've got, I have up to about 10 alarms go off every day with little notes plus a to-do list, plus a calendar, right? I don't rely on my brain to remember shit. And ensure that temptations are a real hassle. If you want chocolate, you have to walk miles to get it. If you want to use porn, you have to type in big codes and get access and permission, right? If you want to use Netflix, you have to sign up again, right? Whatever it is, make it a really, really just a hassle to be instantly gratified. Anything that gives you more time to think. We've already talked about creating a support group or having an accountability buddy. Like I said, it's not something you've come to depend on, but 
Make it easier on yourself. And you should create a punish and reward system. Non-compliance needs to be punished and compliance needs to be rewarded. Great way to do this is actually to save your instant gratifications for the end of the day if you've earned them. All right. So for example, I'm allowed to eat a reasonably healthy treat as long as I've eaten healthy and done my exercise for the day. If I haven't, I'm not allowed the treat. I remove the privilege. Right? You can have a nice little binge on Netflix if you've tried to meet three people today. If not, you've got to go to bed bored. Just like a child. Privileges given and taken away. Make sure all those things that you give yourself for free, all those comforts, earn them instead of getting them for free. Right? And you can always make it like, you're like, oh, come on, I really want to watch Netflix. There's this new show on. Okay, fuck it. I'll just drop and do 10 push-ups at least, even though I skipped the gym today. Have some minimum required to earn them. And start to associate those things as rewards rather than entitlements. Stop seeing them just because you can access them. You're allowed them all the time. And no, no, you've got to earn them. There's a little practice you can do for instant gratification I call start stopping, which is you start doing the thing and then you stop it. So you start eating a delicious piece of cake, but then you throw the rest, rest of it in the bin. Start masturbating, then stop before you finish. You start being needy with someone and then you go give to someone else instead of continuing to be needy. Do this deliberately. So you can actually train yourself to break out of, it's like getting off the water slide. To show yourself you can actually stop in the middle of the thing and regain self-control. If you do this deliberately, then you'll be able to do it when it happens, you know, by accident or subconsciously. Because that water slide is like the longer you're on that water slide, the more damage it does. You know, if you start binging on a pizza, every bite, is releasing more dopamine and making this cycle harder. So the earlier you can throw away that pizza, the better kind of thing. So you can actually train yourself to do this by deliberately doing it like, okay, I'm going to start eating this biscuit and after two bites, I'm going to throw it on the ground and stamp on it just to show myself I can not eat the whole biscuit. So next time I start eating a biscuit in that kind of subconscious way that I do, I'll be like, oh yeah, I can just throw it away. I've only had two bites. I've done this before. Train yourself, because that's the, the most difficult part of the relapse process is to stop once you've actually started doing it. You know, it's easier to intervene before then to prevent it from happening, but once you're in, most people just follow it all the way to the bitter end. You can actually train yourself to stop during. And that is, in my mind, the highest level of self-control. To have already begun to get your dopamine reward and then pull back. There is no higher level of self-control to have the pleasure and then say no to it. So if you can train yourself to do that, then you're training yourself in like autonomy. Right? Coming near the end, I don't want to spend too much. I've got heaps of notes, but I don't want to go too long here.
I'll just, I just want to hammer home one last point, which I've already said a million times, which is a lot of this is about responsibility, right? Take responsibility for every single thing you've ever done and will ever do and are currently doing. Right? If you're overweight, it's because you eat too much. Case closed. There's no other reason. If you're poor, it's because you don't manage your money properly or your career responsibly. Case closed. If you're lonely, it's because you choose not to practice bold and honest socializing. Right? If you're insecure, it's because you choose to be cowardly rather than courageous. If you're stressed, it's because you choose not to rest and relax. You know, if you overthink all the time, it's because you choose not to take actions. You choose to dwell instead. No matter what pain in your life, it's your decision-making that causes it. And your decision-making will also be the solution to it if the decision-making changes. You know, discipline is about owning what you're doing and then shifting it repeatedly you gotta understand discipline is mostly about endurance to do it again and again and again in spite of the constant suffering you know i never enjoy having a cold shower ever it always sucks so this is like a marathon that i'm in it will never stop sucking and i've i've resigned myself to that some people get a runner's high. They talk about this thing where they suddenly feel a wave of like uh, adrenaline when they run. I've never had it. I could run for an hour and all I feel is pain. So be it. That's the price. I choose that. You can beat that lawyer for instant gratification if you can just outlast him. If you say no eight times, and he said, yes, seven times, you win. And that's the thing, like, you might say no to using porn once, but then it'll ask you again in just a minute. And then again and again. So you don't just have to say no once, you have to say no 10, 20, 30 times before it fucks off. That's really what it is understanding. It's just because your first no didn't work doesn't mean you've lost. It means you have to say no again. And you have to reassess the situation. Why is it so hard to say no to this? How do I make it easier? And you just keep fighting that fight. Because that's, that's kind of the war that you win when you're proud of yourself for being disciplined. Is like, he told me to do it 20 times, but I said no 21 times. I win. Right? And it sucks. It hurts. It's uncomfortable. You'd rather do something else. But you're going for your your big game hunting now. You're not going for the easy wins or the low hanging fruit. You're going for the big score, which is confidence, power, discipline. You're gonna to have to fight for that. Guys, chuck in your final thoughts and questions in the chat box, and I'm just gonna quickly run through some helpful practices, some practical things you can do each day that will improve discipline. Okay. And I'll send these through. I'm just going to whip through these and those will be in the notes for the recording as well. One, have a morning routine. It almost doesn't really matter what it is as long as you take control of your day from the very first minute. 
And that's what the morning routine is about. I would recommend including something like a cold shower or hard exercise. So start the day with something difficult. So you set the tone, like I can do difficult things. Something wakes up your mind, wakes up your body, gets you prepared. Like I say, if your kids get up early, get up even earlier. Get up at four o'clock if you have to. So that by the time everybody else comes into your life with all their requests and demands, you've already got your shit sorted. Set the tone. Do the worst stuff first. When you look at your to-do list, go, what is the thing I least want to do? Make that the first task of every day. Because then the rest of the day is easier after that. And it's usually the most important thing you had to do anyway. The other stuff doesn't matter that much. Fun stuff last. End the day on a high. Don't start with a high and end on a low. Keep your house devoid of unhealthy food and packed full of healthy options. And this is kind of a metaphor. Like we said, keep, make it really easy to do the good thing and really hard to do the bad thing. You know? Meet with a financial planner, unless you're already like skilled in managing your budget. Manage your budget every week, know where every dollar goes, and budget your time as well. Know where every hour goes. How much hours do you spend on Facebook? You know, so many people tell me they don't have time to do certain projects. I'm like, you got the same amount of time as anybody else in the world. You got the same amount of time as fucking Nikola Tesla. You know? You got the same amount of time as fucking anybody. Beyonce. Right? So then tell me you don't have enough time. You just choose to spend your time differently. You probably choose to waste a lot of it. We all do. A lot of people say, I'm so busy. It's like, no, no, you're wasting a lot of time doing shit that doesn't matter. Multitasking when you should be focused. Like I already said, use calendars, reminders, alarms. Don't rely on your memory. Set rules for yourself and then become your own slave, essentially. You have to follow your rules that you set for yourself rather than following temptations. Tell everybody to keep you honest. Tell them what your goals are. I saw a recent piece of research that the most effective thing you can do to achieve your goals is to tell people you admire. Tell people you would feel ashamed to fail in front of but don't tell enablers you don't tell all the smokers that you want to quit smoking you tell the healthy guy at your work cut the enablers all right anybody in your life who doesn't support you doing good things with your life distance yourself as much as you possibly can from them they have much more disastrous effect than you could possibly imagine they basically rewrite your brain for lacking discipline. Share all your struggles in the Brojo group. That's what it's there for, whether it's in person or online. Don't suffer in silence because that's where fear thrives in secrecy. If you're struggling with your discipline, let everyone know. You'll get sympathy, but you'll also get a kick up the ass. Treat all your failures as lessons. If you slip, and you will slip, it's not the end. It's just a rough day. Learn from it. Why did you slip this day? How do you correct that tomorrow? What did you miss that you need to know about? You know, create a technique or a strategy to overcome that next time. 
try to restrict mindless actions as much as possible. I'm thinking specifically social media, but anything you do that just doesn't seem to be consciously chosen, just kind of slip into it. Like I've got a pattern of I, I scroll through Facebook whenever something's slow to load on my computer. I just flick over to Facebook while I'm waiting, you know? That deteriorates my discipline in some way. I'd be better off to stare at a loading screen and just wait than to distract myself. Don't multitask. It's been proven beyond a shadow of a doubt now in neuroscience that there is no such thing as multitasking. The whole myth that women are good at it and guys aren't, it's all bullshit. You can do multiple tasks at the same time, but you're only ever focused on one at a time, which means if you're doing a lot of things at once, your attention is flickering between them. You're not somehow paying attention to all at once. You're doing one at a time, which means you're splitting yourself. And every time you flick from one thing to another, you lose a little bit of time and focus. You'll do three things separately faster than you would if you tried to do them all together. I don't mean faster as in they'll be done in a quicker time necessarily, but they'll be done to a higher quality. But more importantly, discipline is about focus. If you're training yourself to flick your attention, you're training yourself to be unfocused, to have a slow, uh, to have a uh, low attention span. Try to train yourself to do one thing at a time, do it well, and you'll be able to focus more. Focus and discipline go together. All right. Let's have a look. Final thoughts and questions. Henry, so tried the nofap thing when you were a teenager about two months because stressed out because motivation. Wish to get university acceptance. Hope Jesus would give me the reward. Yeah, there's a key thing. There's no external reward for being disciplined, really. I mean, there are, but you don't know what they're going to be, and you don't control them. Nobody else is going to pat you on the back for doing this. There's no certificates. There's, there's, there's no you know, Guinness World Record for being the most disciplined. You're the only one who's going to get any reward from this from yourself. Okay. If you're doing this to impress somebody else or to get somebody else's approval, you're already off track, as with pretty much everything we talk about in Brojo. You want to do it to be disciplined. That should be the primary purpose overarching all of this, which is it's not so much what you do. It's a little bit why you do it, but mostly it's I can control myself. Because that I think has got to be one of the key pieces of the confidence pie, the sense of I got this. No matter what temptations are thrown at me, no matter what fucking derailers are thrown in my path, I make the shit happen that I need to do. I control myself. The only thing I can control, my behavior. The reason why so many sort of long-serving military veterans end up becoming coaches and mentors and public speakers, all those Navy SEALs who do the speaking circuits and stuff, there's a reason they're so confident in themselves. They got discipline down to an art every minute accounted for they never slip you know well they probably do sometimes but not compared to like you and i 
I'm not saying that's the only form of confidence or that they don't have problems, but it's a huge part of it. Now, if you know that no matter what the day throws at you, internally or externally, you're going to do the right shit, then that's a sense of self-worth. Right? You will lead yourself. Final thoughts or questions before we wrap it up for today. I'm definitely not going to pretend I have all the answers on this, by the way. Because this is actually quite a new field for me. I am very disciplined with myself now, but I'm only just starting to unravel why that is and trying to find a way to generalize that. What, do, what have I learned that other people can learn? Because it's not some particular talent. I'm not special. I've just learned something. Come on, motivators. So examples. Um, you don't resonate with the military examples from an institution. Hmm. Well, forget the military examples then. Look at great leaders. Okay. Nelson Mandela, very, very disciplined. Mahatma Gandhi, very, very disciplined. Right. Now they had compelling reasons why. You know, and ultimately, I think that is the, uh, that's got to be the benchmark. And so when you say motivators, that's really what it's all about. But this is, I think, one of the, actually reading Nelson Mandela's autobiography kind of kicked this off for me, which was, he's the first guy I've really seen in my life who was following the same clear purpose for almost his entire life for multiple decades. He was very, very sure on this kind of one thing he was trying to do, which was to unite his country. And he just never lost track of that, or it seems, according to his book. You know, he had it in mind when he was a lawyer. He had it in mind when he was a rebel. He had it in mind when he was a prisoner. And he still had it in mind when they made him president. It was one thing that decided it was the reason he did exercise in the morning. It was a reason he went and met people and spoke to them. It was a reason he chose to go without comforts. It's the reason he actually chose to go to prison. He could have gotten out of prison. He did fucking 40 years in prison for his purpose. When he was actually given the option to just like compromise his principles and bail. You know. And that's why I think what's really what's really clear for me is that everything is connected. The reason I take care of my health, the reason I do cold showers, and the reason I do the hard piece of work every day, and the reason I reach out to people I'm intimidated by is all to serve my primary purpose of making people more confident. All of it is towards that. Me maintaining my health is so that I can do more of this work. Me doing other disciplined behaviors are so that I can role model what I'm trying to teach, and I'm not like one of those people who doesn't practice what they preach. Hypocrite. You know, um, and every piece of literal work I do is somehow designed to make somebody more confident somehow, you know, 
I'm very, very clear on that. But I didn't start clear on that. I, I got there. You know, when I first started being a coach, I thought I wanted to help people climb the corporate ladder. Really, that was my coaching. Help people move up the corporate ladder. And just didn't quite sit right with me. And the conversations kept coming back to people pleasing and all this other stuff that I found far more fascinating. And my purpose kind of emerged as I realized my greatest pain was the pain I want to solve in the rest of the world as well. It was my lack of confidence that caused my suffering. I want to take that suffering away for people. So ultimately, I think the best thing you can do for discipline is to find that, that mission and realize that everything you do in your life either helps it or harms it. Let's say it doesn't have to be some grand mission where you change the world. There's really no objective uh, kind of value here. Maybe you just want to be a good dad. And I shouldn't even use the word just. That's, that's a perfectly reasonable, noble purpose you don't have to change the world maybe you just want to be good dad for your one son right but you gotta ask yourself does masturbating to porn make you a better dad or a worse dad you know because it's one of those two there's no neutral it affects you somehow i actually got the sum from game of thrones it's one of the game of thrones is just riddled with like self-development advice if you see things the way i do as all movies are for me like the matrix just blows my mind right so I watch a Game of Thrones and there's the character uh, Littlefinger, Peter Baelish. And he's talking about um, getting on the throne. And he says like everything he does in his life, every person he talks to, he considers, does this bring me closer to being on the throne or not? And if the answer is yes, then he does it. If the answer is no, then he doesn't do it. Now that was a very sort of ambitious, cruel guy, but the, the, the lesson was great. I was like, I've got to look at everything I do from drinking a glass of water to looking on Facebook to talking to that person to going food shopping. Does it help what I'm trying to do or not? If the answer is no, don't do it. Right? If the answer is yes, do it. And how do I make it even more helpful? And I guess part of my discipline, my, my motivation is to keep checking back in with that thing. You know, am I lined up? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing or am I doing something else? You know, and to see that connection. So, yeah. This is just the first exploration. I'm going to try and flesh out my ideas on this more. This, this webinar actually serves as a, a sounding board for me to hear myself speak about this and to see what works and what doesn't. So when I want... I'd really love to hear back from you guys in a week or so to see what effect, if any, this webinar had on your discipline, what elements helped, what didn't. I'd like you to try them out. I'm quite happy for them to fail at your expense, <laughs> just to learn what works and what doesn't. Um, what I'd suggest is, you know, we covered a lot of stuff. Choose the one thing that really stood out to you the most and try to implement that, if nothing else. You know, maybe it was choosing a reason why, maybe it was managing the barriers in your house, maybe it was cutting off disabling people. There's one thing that seemed to stand out for you, journaling. I think journaling is a huge one because it's the self-awareness and then you can't lie to yourself about what you're doing anymore. It's a massive one, yeah. Um, yeah, Henry says, I still have the outcome. I hope people see my progress. Yeah, they might not. Right, or they might not appreciate it. Discouraging people are not going to give you 
recognition but becoming more disciplined because you'll just make them feel insecure so they're probably going to try and bring you down you know feedback from other people you know i always talk about the concept of not caring what other people think i do care what other people think but it's not in the way it used to be where it affects how i see myself i see it more as measurements if someone i admire likes what i'm doing i'm probably on track Whereas if somebody who I think isn't living a very good life likes what I'm doing, I have to question it. It's just kind of like these little like mirrors. People become these mirrors where I can just see myself from another perspective and it can make me double check. Now I might be doing something good with my life that a discouraging person likes and it's still good for my life. So it's just kind of a misfire. But you know, I, I remember like being encouraged to gossip by certain people who I didn't admire and thinking, you know what, me gossiping is probably not what I want to be doing. If it lines up with what they think is a good idea, maybe it's not what I think is a good idea and so on. So unfortunately, if you've got discouraging people in your life, they're not going to clap their hands when you become more disciplined. They might actually have the opposite reaction. I've had a number of people in my life who I, you know, it was quite heartbreaking for me. I, I labeled them as best friends. And I had to cut them out because they just didn't want the best for me. They wanted me to be like them, which wasn't the best for me. And they weren't willing to let that go. And they were quite, uh, it, was, it shocked me kind of almost the evil that, was, that they were capable of in terms of discouraging me and, and, and putting me off my path. You know, I remember this one time telling all these friends I want to start my own coaching business and they like attacked me. I'd never seen that before from them. You know, they were, they were basically saying, you know, things they'd never said to me before, insinuating that I was too stupid to do it, that I'm not brave enough to take those kind of risks and stuff like that. Kind of like hurt my feelings. And afterwards I was just like, whoa, like I need to reassess who they are. Because the one guy I admire in business, I told him about, and he's like, fuck yeah, that's a good idea. So, like, something's wrong here. Right? The guy I look up to thinks it's good, and the people who I love, but I don't look up to them, they think it's bad. Hmm. Maybe I shouldn't be listening to them. So, discipline's not going to be rewarded from everybody. You can't rely on that. But you'll know at the end of the day if you crushed it, if you did what you're supposed to do and very little of what you're not supposed to do. And you'll just have to recognize yourself. Again, journaling comes into the picture there. You have to tell yourself, today was a good day. Check, because I did X, Y, and Z. Those are my, those are my principles. Those are my standards. Nobody else will be able to confirm it. Only you know. But share it with the Brojo group. You're more likely to find like-minded souls there, I think especially if you tell them what it is you think you're supposed to do and then tell them what you did so they know what your standards are and they can help you assess whether or not you met them. Cool. Well, thanks. Uh, yeah. Thanks so much for coming live. You guys, I appreciate being able to bounce back and forth and, uh, well, it's much better than talking to myself and I will look forward to your feedback, positive or negative. Um, so that I can hone these ideas because I think discipline's probably actually a bigger deal than I initially gave it credit for. It might be a very big deal in terms of self-development. So I'd like to get my ideas really fluid on this and be able to share it in a way that somebody can follow a step-by-step -step process and 
figure it out for themselves, you know. So anything I can do to make that better, please let me know. And I'll see you guys whenever I next see you. All right. Catch you later, dude.